Welcome to the Value Investor Chatter Podcast. My name is Beko and my co-host Hari. Welcome, everybody. All right, today we're going to talk about Etsy. Etsy. Let's dive into it. Uh, Quickly, Hari, can you start with the disclaimer? So uh, this is the Value Investor Chatter Podcast. We are a podcast that helps you, uh, educates you on the fundamentals of value investing. We are not a... uh, a financial advisor, nor do we know your specific financial situation. So please consult with the appropriate advisor before making any uh, financial uh, decisions. The uh, What we do want you to look at, though, is our uh, valueinvestor.org website. We have a lot of uh, free services there that you can uh, look at, our database, our newsletter, and our uh, community. So our community is uh, slowly growing and we'd like to add, you know, you onto it where you can talk about, you know, companies like Etsy or any of the other companies like Affirm uh, or Disney that we talked about uh, in the last few episodes. We would really like you to, you know, for you to check that out, uh, sign up and get the free checklist. Um, you can, and once you're signed up, um, you have access to um, the checklist that we always talk about during the podcast. So um, please uh, take a look at it um, and uh, leave us your thoughts. And if you have any questions, you can email us at info at valueinvestor.org. Yeah, great. Yeah, everybody come come check it out. And uh, I just want to mention one thing about the, the membership. We put out our recommendations. So we have a short list of stocks that we put together that we analyze. These are stocks that are on our radar and we talk about it with our community. So if you guys want to get that short list, of stocks. We, we talk about it. We post it on the community. So uh, check us out there. All right. Let's get going on Etsy. Uh, let's start with this question. Um, well, before we do that, Etsy just announced their earnings. Today, we are recording this podcast on February 23rd. This this episode will be released in a couple of weeks. So you, got, you guys will get this in a couple of weeks. But we are recording this on the 23rd. They just announced their earnings for the year and for the last quarter. So their uh, 10K just came out. And we wanted to dig into this company because I think it's one of those companies that's benefited tremendously. It's, you know, it, it's, an, it's a two-sided marketplace. It's an e-commerce play. It benefited tremendously from the rich valuation from the COVID eras, but also everyone moving to the digital world, e-commerce, obviously it benefited tremendously there. So let's talk about Etsy from that lens. So Hari, start us off with uh, what they do. So if, uh, like Becco said, it's a two-sided online marketplace, which means they're kind of connecting buyers and sellers. And the, the process of connecting buyers and sellers um, is, you know, one of the, the kind of moats that we always talk about, which is network effect, right? You have to have sellers to get buyers and you have to have buyers to get sellers to your platform. So, um, Etsy is, uh, specifically focused on, um, uh, creative professionals. So people who are selling, uh, crafts, um, and other types of craft goods, but they've also added, um, music. Uh, by buying a company called Reverb, um, and then they they started adding a fashion resale marketplace uh, called Depop, and then 
the they also acquired a company in Brazil that was called the Etsy of Brazil, Elo7. So they operate under those four brand names. Um, and in 2022, they, they had uh, about 13 billion in gross merchandise sales. Um, so they, just to make everybody understand, gross merchandise is um, what the ticketed price that you sell. So if you, you sell a sweater on Etsy that you made for $100, that contributes to the gross merchandise sale, but Etsy's cut of that is what they actually count in revenue. So this is a very common thing for um, Gap uh, is that they can't count for the $13 billion and then say cost of goods sold is $8 billion because it's not their product. Mm-hmm. Um, so just keep that in mind when we talk about gross merchandise sales versus revenue. Right. Uh, I'm just showing the screen here. This is what Etsy look like. looks like. Um, some of you probably know this already, but I'll, I'll just show it to you anyway. So this is what the website looks like. So the, again, two-sided marketplace, people, independent sellers, uh, and this is this is their niche. It's kind of like eBay where independent sellers can sell their stuff like books or whatever. But Etsy is specifically, when they started it, it was mostly around like jewelry, if I remember correctly. It was like jewelry, arts and craft. And if you can come up with something that people want and you can sell it on Etsy, that's that was the place to go. Um, so it looks like this. And they subsequently branched out into a bunch of different uh, categories you can see here clothing home living wedding party toy entertainment etc etc so this is what it looks like so let's dig into the performance uh last quarter give us uh start us off with the top line and just kind of overall overview of the performance sorry so um, you know, one of the stories here that, uh, like Becca was saying is their performance during the pandemic was really kind of the highlight of this. Um, you know, they, they were a p- pandemic darling, right? Their revenue just exploded because people were stuck at home. And then a lot of people started making craft goods. More people were, you know, browsing the site, buying stuff. So their revenue really just took off. And during that time, you know, the service, they they have two really sur- sources of revenue. One of them is the marketplace where you you have a pay a price to list your item. Um, and then when it's sold, there's a transaction fee. Uh, and then um, they have a services business, which is essentially um, uh, advertising for your, like a seller can advertise on that. So this is the, the services revenue is the kind of the high margin stuff. The marketplace revenue is kind of, the transactional, you know, it's, it's a lower yeah. margin business there. I, I just want to point out one thing there. So you can kind of think about Etsy in, in this way. It's like Amazon, when you, tr- you know, third-party sellers can sell on Amazon, amazon.com and Amazon does the fulfillment for you. You can opt in to have your product be fulfilled by Amazon fulfillment centers. Etsy, on the other hand, they do not. So, um, that's a little bit of difference, but they do have like, like you sh- show here, uh, if you go up again, Hari, uh, sorry, uh, the, uh, the breakdown of the revenue. Oh, okay. The pie chart, sorry, the pie chart. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. So yeah. On-site advertising, it's the advertising, by the way, 
just a side note, amazon.com, they do about $30 billion in revenue just on advertisement. So it is, it is quite effective and it's a high margin business. Like, you know, we see it with Google, Amazon also has a gigantic ad business. Um, so that's just a little commentary there. Sorry. So go on. Hi. So just, uh, you know, to get, to get to the, um, you know, their revenue kind of exploded during this time period. Um, we'll pull up the, uh, Um, so in 2015, 2016 timeframe, they were around 270 million, 360 million. And then 2019, the year before the pandemic, it was 800 million. Then it went up to 1.7 billion in 2020 and then 2.3 billion in 2021. So we saw a huge increase. So if you look at it purely from a top line perspective, you're like, wow, this has a, a huge, you know, um, uh, you know, growth rate, right? So if you if you were to plug that into your discounted free cash flow, you'd be like, this business is worth infinity, right? Because it's going to just grow forever and be, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? But you have to think about this from the perspective of what is this going to mean going forward, right? Because now when you look at 2021 to 2022, their revenue actually growth was only about 10%. Right. So things are slowing down significantly. And I think post pandemic, it's going to be hard to say, is this, are people going to come back to the store, uh, to Etsy, or are they going to go back to their, you know, pre pandemic shopping habit habits when Etsy was, you know, a third of the revenue that they were generating. Right. Um, so that's kind of one thing to keep in the back of your mind as we keep talking about this. Yeah. One of the things that I, I do want to talk about this is another commentary on people's shopping habits. During pandemic, I think I'm also, you know, victim of this. People thought that we were going to be shopping online all the time, all the time, and that we would change our habits permanently because what we were accustomed to. And I think some of that is true. People have benefited from like e-commerce, for example. I sometimes order groceries online. I sometimes do Uber Eats, things like that. But I think what has, what people have missed is that it's, it's sort of an anomaly. It's, there's a reversal, there's a reversal in terms of people's habit. When people are, are working from home all the time and you're, you're just stuck at home all the time, people actually want to go out for leisure things like eating yeah. out or shopping for small things like, you know, jewelry and things like that. So I think, um, that's something that I've noticed just in my personal life and people around me. And I think it's reflected here with Etsy. Um, yeah. Just to yeah, I mean, I, I think that, like you said, you know, it's hard for us to judge, you know, there's a lot of brick and mortar companies that are, uh, people are saying are going to go out of business, you know, they, this has been a story that was pre pandemic, you know, Amazon's going to destroy the world and, you know, all of that stuff. And to some extent, I think it's true, there is uh, a lot more moving to e commerce, because it's, it is convenient, and it has a lot of benefits. But there's also some I don't think it's ever going to go away. Like, you know, if you walk into a Target uh, parking lot on a Saturday or a Costco parking lot on a Saturday, they're full, right? So people are definitely still buying things online and Costco is not going to ship, you know, a giant thing roll of toilet paper to your door 
for a reasonable you know amount, right? Like it, there are just certain things that are going to be sold in stores because that's the only way to make money off of it. Yeah. So, but you know, getting back to Etsy, I, I think it's going to be very hard for us to see what's going to happen in the future. Um, and even if you're a like a like I don't, I'm not going to speak for Becco. I'm not a person who shops on Etsy. Um, you know, I think I may have bought one or two things on there in, you know, in the last five years, but it's very hard for me to judge what is going to happen in the future with a store like this. Um, you know, if you look at eBay's growth, it kind of just leveled off. And now eBay's a cash flow machine uh, that buy, buys back a bunch of shares, but it's not a technology growth company, right? And it's hard for me to say is Etsy at that point, because I don't think Etsy could be as large as eBay, because I think eBay is selling just a general set of goods. Etsy is selling very specific things. Like you're not buying a ton of electronics on uh, Etsy, like used yeah. cell phones and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. I, th I think, I think we'll get to this point, but, but, I, but basically I think the, the, the tug of war is between these two narratives. Is Etsy a growth company that is fundamentally, you know, enabled by technology? where it deserves high multiple versus is it a company that's slowly maturing and it's just kind of um, phasing into its sort of next phase of, of, of life cycle. Um, yeah. So I think that that's the tug of war that we we're, we're talking about here. So let's, let's actually explore that narrative a little bit more. Can you uh, walk us through the acquisitions that they have done last couple of years? Yeah. So there are, the, the main company, Etsy.com. And then if you start, um, the first business that they bought um, uh, was called Reverb. So Reverb was a uh, was an online marketplace for musical instruments. So they are um, selling new and used stuff. Um, and, you know, they, they actually saw a decline in gross margin or gross merchandise in 2022 on, on Reverb. So it for me, it's kind of hard to say, is this kind of the end of this reverb growth story, right? Like it's going to be like a static, you know, flat kind of revenue growth company. Uh, Depop is a uh, fashion uh, brand. Uh, so resale of like your, you know, uh, you know, unique fashion items and, and that kind of stuff uh, based in London. So they had a, a, um, this was purchased in 2021 for $1.3 billion. Um, and this is the story that we're going to kind of unpack here is um, one of the biggest things that as, as managers of, uh, or investors, we need to see what is the ability for uh, the CEO to do capital allocation uh, in a business. And my biggest concern with these guys is they, they just don't have the chops to, to manage this because they way overpaid for this business. So this was purchased in 2020, uh, and we'll we'll talk about you know, when we get to the cash flows how they had to write this entire business down uh, or nearly write down the entire thing. Um, and then the last one was the Elo Seven Marketplace, which was a uh, um, is more of a regional play. So they they bought this company out of uh, Brazil. Um, and their their big story here is that this is allows them to grow into a, a market that was you know largely untapped because Elo Seven was the uh, Etsy of, of of Brazil. So, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so it's it's um they're doing a lot of bolt-on bolt-on acquisitions for for growth. So they want right. to grow by consolidating different players in this in this space. Let's um let's actually do explore the write down because I think that's the crux of the story. So can you can you substantiate the argument that these acquisitions were 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 you know too high? They they pay too much for it. Yeah. So in in 2020, when they they acquired these businesses, they actually um, so just so everybody understands, right? When you acquire a company, there is the balance sheet has um, has a line at the bottom of it that is related to. Let me see if I can pull this up real fast. Yeah, um, has the uh, shareholders' equity uh, line can on. Can you it. zoom in on it real quick, Harry? Yeah. There you go. Okay, so when you look at it, you take the assets of the business, you subtract the uh, liabilities, and you get an equity number. So the importance of that equity number is that is actually what the shareholders have in terms of, um, you know, you can use the same uh, measurement for your for your own homeowner uh, loan, right? You buy a, a, a house for $100,000. Um, and you put down $20,000, your equity in the loan is $20,000 in the house, right? And over time, that equity grows because you're paying off the debt. So the debt decreases, the but the asset value stays the same, right? So your ownership percentage is what's considered the equity. So what, what happened was um, Depop is a very asset-light business. So is ELO7. They don't have a lot of... Uh, things that, um, you know, physical assets. So when they paid for the business, in order to um, reconcile the gap accounting rules, you add this line called goodwill, which is the price that you pay over the book value. So you, you essentially take the assets, the hard assets like cash, uh, physical goods, bring them over to the asset line and same with their liabilities and put them on. But what you what you paid for the business over and above the equity you put in this goodwill line. So this is a this is a intangible asset uh, that increased to one point three billion dollars, and then over the course of twenty twenty two, so within a year they write down this um, this purchase because they're not seeing the 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 tangible value that they they could get out of it, and so what Just you see is an equity drop of $1 billion, which is roughly the amount of, so so Etsy has a negative stockholders equity or shareholders equity at this point, uh, because the goodwill was basically what uh, allowed them to keep this you know, positive. So- Yeah, I, I just want to hammer this point home. Can you can you zoom in on that point, Ari? The, the write down, the impairment? Yeah, yeah, let me, let me show it to you from a cash flow perspective, because this yeah. is where, um, so what happens is when you report your net income, if you look at their revenue lines, you'll see that uh, for 2022, they had $2.5 billion. Uh, and as you go down, you're gonna see this line for goodwill impairment. And so this is a non-cash expense that they're taking against their income statement. So their, their total operating expense went from 1.2 to 2.4 billion, but that is one point, 1 billion of it was goodwill impairment. 
So when you get down to the net income line, you have a $700 million loss, but it's actually due to a $1 billion goodwill impairment. So there's really a $300 million or so net income uh, benefit. And then when you get down to the cash flow statement, you can actually see this $1 billion in goodwill impairment is getting added back in. So you add in that and you actually get a positive cash flow operating cash flow. So really the story here that we need to pay attention to as investors is Etsy's uh, operating cash was six, 600 uh, cash flow was 650 million in 2021. And in 2022 is 683 million. So they take all of the write downs and all of this. They're telling us that the asset is Depop was overvalued. That's what the goodwill impairment is. They paid over well over it, wrote it down. And now when you actually look at this, their actual growth between 2021 and 2022 is, is meager, right? It's, it's, you know, like 30, $30 million is yeah. kind of the difference here. Right. So not a, this is this story actually kind of tells me right because if you look here in 2021 they spent 1.7 billion dollars in acquisitions do you know how that was financed was it all cash or uh there's not? debt there's debt involved okay. too um and so just to hammer this point home right I, like etsy is a profitable business they make a, a healthy free cash flow, $600 million. That in and of itself is good, right? The problem is the price that I want to pay for that when I'm seeing meager growth between 2021 and 2022, does the value that you are going to you know, get justify the price you know, that you're paying here? And, it, and to me, the answer is just a flat no, right? Like this is a way overvalued business for what it's offering. Or, I'm sorry, overpriced business. Yep. So let me just restate that point. For yep. the... So the real story here is you have a business that is worth, you know, is that that is selling for $18 billion, is generating close to $650 million in operating cash flow. And I see very limited growth potential in the core businesses, right? Whatever core growth you're going to get is, you know, is is slowed down significantly. So the real story to me is this is no longer a growth play. It's all about capital acquisition, you know, capital allocation and acquisition of inorganic growth, you know, and so in order to buy more businesses to grow your, and I don't, I don't see that they had did a very good job of that, right? Um, because they spent a billion dollars over, you know, and then wrote it all down a year later because it just wasn't working out. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the. That's, I think that's a good point. Um, the if you scroll up for a second, uh, actually, no, stay right there. Uh, yeah, just highlight the goodwill impairment for me. Yeah. So right here is the the line that we've been talking about. Um, yeah. So essentially, they took out a billion dollars of cash and debt to acquire all these different companies that we just talked about. Uh, let's see, uh, Reverb, Depop, Eloy. Elo seven, and yeah. they wrote it down one year after. Yeah, just to be clear, Depop, Depop and Elo seven are uh, what they acquired. Reverb was 
prior to the pandemic. So they, they had, they've owned it for a little longer than that. I see. Deep, Depop and Elo 7, they do about, they do about 600, $620 million dollars in gross merchandise sales. And um, clearly, at least in the cash flow statement, we see that it's not actually adding too much to the free cash flow. Yeah. Uh, so there you have it, guys. And the company is right now trading at 18 billion. So with about $650 million in free cash, that's about 30, 30 times free cash flow. For a business that is relatively flat in terms of growth. Sure. Growing at like 10% in terms of revenue top line. Yeah. 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 So there you have it. It's a company that's growing at 10% and you know, it is generating a lot of free cash flow, 600 million or so, and it's valued at $18 billion. So that's, there you have it. Yeah. If, if this, I mean, just as a, you know, back of the napkin kind of numbers, if you were, if this business were trading at say $6 billion, I'd be a lot more interested in it, right. In terms of, you know, and they were doing better, you know, more interesting things with their capital allocation, right. Like buying back shares or, um, you know, paying a dividend even, uh, would be, I think a better use of their money than buying a business like Elo seven or Depop that they're just not seeing, you know, returns off of. Yeah. I mean, I think, I guess, I guess the question is, is the, is the management, does the management think that this is a continued, this is a continued growth story or is it a more mature business where it needs to transition into the second phase of its life? and start doing things that are commensurate to that stage of a company. So for example, this is, this is the battle that a lot of tech companies have to tech companies. I, I, I say that with quotation have to grapple with, right? Yeah. What is like, do you growth grow at all costs or do you start to transition? I think this is the brilliant move that Apple made a few years ago when they started to actually buy back a ton of shares and, and, and sort of transition that way. But all the other companies that are, that haven't done that, they're continuing to grow. So fundamentally, yeah, I think it comes down to the narrative that we talked about. Is it a growth story? If you, if you believe in the growth story of Etsy, that it's going to become something much more greater that, and that you're willing to pay for the higher multiple, or you want to be more conservative and, and, and think about Etsy from that perspective and look at some of the, some of the acquisition that they've done. And reflect that in the valuation. I think that's the narrative here. Well, and I think you bring up a really good point that uh, should be emphasized. The biggest risk I see is that they think they're a growth company when they're actually, you know, a uh, a mature business, right? And in to me, that's the biggest risk, right? Is that they think they're a growth company, so they spend a lot of money trying to grow, and it's just not going to happen, right? Um, and that's, that's the, that's the biggest concern I would have. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, it takes certain kind of executive and board of directors to recognize that because I yeah. think it's so much easy to say, oh, we are, we are continue to be a growth company because everybody wants to grow. Everybody wants to become the next big thing. And everybody's incentive is to make this something bigger than what it is today by growing and bolt on acquisition, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. It's, it doesn't, it's, it's not sexy to say, you know what, we were sort of at a phase where we need to transition that, I mean, there, there, I mean, 
largely there is no incentive to transition um, that way unless you're, you know, unless you have that kind of orientation. Well, and, and some CEOs don't have the mindset to do that, to, to transition. And so they're, you know, a good board would say, you know, thank you for your service. We need to bring somebody in who can, you know, do that. Uh, and, you know, eBay did that very successfully, I think, right? They brought in somebody and now they buy back shares and they're very uh, shareholder friendly with their excess cash. And they're not really wasting money on, you know, they spun off PayPal. They, you know, they did things for shareholder benefit. And that's, that is a, a, a very noteworthy thing, right? A lot of businesses don't think that way. Uh, and so you end up with a, a expensive, um, you know, waste of capital, uh, you know, by, by businesses like this. Mm -hmm. Also, I mean, I think, I think all of the incentive structures around them too, because if you think about the banks, if you think about the consultants, if you think about all these services companies that are latching on for them to do these transactions, it's in their incentive to continue to grow because, you know, yeah. more fees and more services they can sell. Yeah. So I think it, it takes a very shrewd board of directors to recognize and rotate out the management with somebody that has more experience in managing more mature companies. Right. So that, that would be, that would be kind of the conclusion, right? Is, is that, is this, um, so, but fundamentally it sounds like, I mean, I, I looked at, um, the guy's profile, he comes from E, uh, he comes from eBay, uh, the CEO, he comes from eBay, he comes from American express. I haven't looked at the incentive structure for the management, but just by looking at the 10 K and the, and some of the past capital allocation decisions, it sounds like the, the stated goal still is to grow, grow at all costs. So yep. I would be interested to see how this company transforms itself with higher interest rate and some of the realities that they're facing in the e-commerce department. Not many people as they thought are shopping online as much as they want to. So how are, how are they going to justify some of these um, growth initiatives. So that'll be interesting to watch. Yep. All right. That brings us to the end. Um, if you guys want to find out more about Etsy, definitely come join us in the value investor chatter community. You can find out more about it on our website, valueinvestor.org. We have a ton of free resources on our website as well. So a lot of the information that we presented to you today, they come from the value investor database. It's free to use. Everybody can use it. Just go to our website, valueinvestor.org and type in your ticker symbol and you'll get all of the fundamentals data. Uh, for Etsy, it goes back to 2020, 2012. So uh, definitely take a look and that's about it. So check us out there. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.